1: So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower.
1: Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. We are, as we often do, coming to you live, sort of, from Atlanta, Georgia, the home of Coca-Cola, which is uh, a controversial company. It's one of the largest plastic polluters in the world, according to several recent studies. It's also responsible for our uh, like, our cultural image of Santa Claus in the West. It's also responsible for popularizing polar bears
0: in a very endearing way. Hi, I'm Ben. Hey, Ben. Uh, I'm Noel. Uh, basically, Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus, essentially for all intents and purposes, right? Uh, the the visual of it, yeah, yeah. Isn't that sure. crazy? Mm-hmm. I think that's just bonkers. Like how far-reaching marketing is. Like it just like a company that old can, has the power to literally change the course of like the zeitgeist and the way people view a mythological figure.
1: That's what I love about the Coca-Cola Museum. They're transparent about it. Mm-hmm. They're, they're pretty much like this was Santa Claus beforehand, and then. We got involved. That's right. When was the last time you went to the
0: Coca-Cola Museum, Ben?
1: Oh, it's uh, it's been a number of years. They, they've done some extensive
0: retrofitting, uh, or renovations, rather. You, Have they? Yeah. When's the last time you went? I think I went on a school trip when I was a kid. I just remember there's the room where you can taste all of the the, the Coke products
1: from around the world. At the very end. And the worst one, for anyone who hasn't been there yet, the worst one is an Italian uh, digestif called Beverly. What does it taste like? It tastes like a uh, crime, you know? Really? Yeah. And it's, punishment?
0: It's a crime in your mouth. Okay. Is it sort of like a malort or like, uh, you know, like uh, like a, uh, an herbal kind of vibe? Yeah, I think it's a it's an herbal
1: vibe. Uh, oh, excuse me. It's not a digestif. It's an aperitif. I see. So turn that on its head. And is it, is it fizzy? Yeah, it's carbonated. It's a soft drink. Uh, you know, an aperitif is something you drink before a meal to help you digest, right? It has been described as tasting of grapefruit rind leaning into the bitter that's what malort tastes like oh okay Mal- not, malort sorry.
0: is like the chicago the famous chicago uh liquor liquor oh yeah, yeah 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 i know uh, that stuff people love it in chicago and it's sort of like a rite of passage for uh, folks visiting or folks moving there to, to try it and it's very grapefruity but like absurdly heavy on the bitter tell you
1: uh someone else that chicago loves that's our super producer casey pegram
0: and he loves chicago
1: I uh, I love the deep dish pizza. Yeah, it's good. Like I said pizza. Yeah, pizza. Because <laughs> you, you're a Southern boy. Do you really? <laughs> it like came d- out there.
0: Deep dish pizza.
2: Um, probably just because you know I only end up in Chicago once
0: every decade or so. Uh-huh. So that's a pretty good pace for the deep dish, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I genuinely enjoy it, but I, I couldn't eat it like all the time. No. Oh no, no, it would kill you. Your heart would explode. Yeah. yeah. What's the best deep dish pizza in Chicago? I had a Lou, Lou Lou something.
1: No, 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 no. I had um, Giordano's. Giordano's is what I had.
0: Giordano's is well known. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that before. Chicago listeners, write in. Tell us your favorite Chicago deep dish pizza joint. Uh, We we were dying to know. Philly listeners, write in and tell me your
1: favorite Philly cheesesteak. I feel way more comfortable asking people not on stage.
0: Asking from the safety of a studio. I 100% agree. But we're not talking about cheesesteaks, nor deep dish pizzas, nor Chicago. Um, We let off talking about Coca-Cola. We talked a little bit about Santa Claus. Buried the lead a bit with polar bears. Yeah, that's where I was setting us up. Yeah,
1: polar bears. So if you are in the West and familiar with things like TVs or advertisements, then you have probably seen the famous Coca-Cola polar bear. It's a very prominent 3D animation now, but the polar bear actually dates back to 1922. It's a very old Coca-Cola ad, and their their advertising is super effective. Oddly enough, around the time this was being invented, uh, Coca-Cola was not alone in their obsession with polar bears. It turns out that across the pond in Germany... The German people... for several decades had an obsession with polar bears themselves, not just polar bears, but specifically dudes wearing polar bear costumes.
0: Yeah, and just really quickly, the, the first advertisement featuring the Coca-Cola polar bear, or at least one of from, from 1922, as you said, is a polar bear uh, sitting kind of on his back haunches in a in a ice mound um, with some Coca-Colas on ice in said mound, and he uh, or she is feeding uh, dare I say, squirting a bottle of Coke into the mouth of the sun? Right. Which uh, Megan the Stallion would,
1: for any hip hop fans, would call driving the boat. Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it? So when you
0: pour a drink into someone's mouth?
1: Yeah. From what I could tell, it's when uh, it's when that MC pours shots into people's mouths, and it's become a thing. Casey, are you aware of this? I am not aware of this. Okay. Well, maybe maybe we're not plugged in enough. But yes, yeah, it's very—for anybody who's a fan of hip-hop, look up that poster Noel described. I think the one we found is in French, uh, but it's very much the picture. He did a great job describing that.
0: So that's one of the reasons that this whole polar bear obsession hit. Another one, possibly the more close-to-home reason, was that in the 1920s, there was a, um, a family of polar bears, live polar bears, that uh, were sent to the Berlin Zoo and folks got Really jazzed about it, and the uh, the zoo um, decided they wanted to really lean into this, and so they dressed up a man in a polar bear suit and had him, you know, pose like you do. They're like at the Atlanta Aquarium; they've got a a, a person in a penguin suit because the penguins are, are a big attraction there. Um, but you would get these commemorative photos, and these things were like printing money because at the time, um, folks didn't really have their own cameras; they, they weren't portable, right. so. To get one of these photographs was kind of a big deal. And photography
1: was experiencing a tremendous moment here in the interwar years of Germany. There were cabarets, uh, so many amazing automobile races, and so on, and people posing with polar bears fake or real, was was part of this. I like that you point out that there was not the um, proliferation of photographic technology that we are so fortunate to experience today. Instead, people would go to a professional photographer. Having a camera at this point w- was a way to make a living. Just possessing that technology could gain you entry into a livelihood. What's weird about these polar bear photos is that It went beyond the zoo, right? Uh, It makes sense for people to get a a photograph of the mascot or maybe the actual polar bears in the background, but soon enough, these photos began proliferating outside of the zoo, and there were no set patterns. You would see people in swimsuits on the beach and then some dude in a polar bear costume with them, Uh, a polar bear with people at fancy parties or hanging with the military, and it went across all demographics, all classes, generations, and so on. It's weird because most of these photos, and you can see several examples online, most of these photos are not only black and white, But they're close up. So it's kind of difficult to guess exactly where they were taken but we have some clues.
0: And we have some lovely first-hand accounts that we are getting from a blog uh, called germangirlinamerica.com of a young woman um, recounting some of her memories uh, as a child, and this was something that was uh, very much part of that experience. Her name is Karen Ann, by the way. recommend checking out her blog. Lots of cool stuff about German culture and history. Um, And it's true. Uh, They they became very popular attractions at vacation destinations, resorts uh, in a town called Kerr were very popular and uh, a gentleman by the name of Carl Bitterling in Rügen um, created his own version of this in his photography studio that was specifically set up to Stage these polar bear photographs for folks that were there on holiday, and he would get uh about five marks per um, one of these photo setups and that was a uh, that was no, no no chump change at the time right
1: uh, and what I love about this this blog is that our author goes on to say, especially for notoriously frugal Germans. I guess you can say that germangirlinamerica.com. I don't know if we can. I don't know if I, I don't know if I feel comfortable going to a european stereotype. But I do feel comfortable uh, exploring the weird history of Coca-Cola. It's very much from our native land. So we have that first theory about the zoo, right, and the pair of polar bears that that come to this German zoo. We have this other theory uh, that you can see proposed in a number of different places uh, that says these polar bear outfits, this craze came out of an advertising campaign for Fanta. As you know, Fanta was created as a replacement soda during World War II because there were Coca Cola syrup shortages in Germany. I did not know that. Well, Fanta is made from apple fiber and a couple of other fruit syrups that were easier to get together. Let's look at the timeline. As we said at the top, Coca Cola used a polar bear for ads back in 1922. And Fanta wanted people to think of Fanta when they think of Coca-Cola. So they asked the Steve Company to make a polar bear costume. And the bear would pose with regular people doing regular things. And it became this sort of reminder of what life after wartime could be. Things could be normal again. And then, of course, because people connect Coca-Cola with a polar bear, they see a polar bear and they see a Fanta you know, logo or can, can, then they they associate the two. And all of a sudden, Fanta becomes like a stand-in for Coke. That was their mission.
0: And it's funny. We think of Fanta in the States as pretty exclusively orange, an orange
1: drink. There's
0: a grape Fanta, too. That's right. right? But, yeah, when I think of Fanta, I typically think of orange soda. Mm. And it wasn't that. That's not where its roots began at all. What's
1: that other orange soda? Crush? Maybe that's it. Slice? Maybe yeah, yeah. There were a few. Yeah. There were a few orange sodas. I really like Orangina. Yeah, I was uh mispronouncing it for a year or two. How and could my you possibly g- mispronounce it? My girlfriend that? didn't tell me. Uh, she uh, was yeah. trolling you, Ben. This was in this was in ex, but uh we we didn't break up due to the uh my mispronunciation of Orangina. I'm I'm not going to give the mispronunciation on the air, but you all know what I was accidentally saying. Oh, yeah. Uh, Speaking of segues, uh, 1933. All right. We're talking about the interwar years in Germany. And even if we talk about something as cute and innocuous as polar bears,
0: we all know who's going to show up. That's right. Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's always lurking just around the corner in these cute stories. Um, In 1933, when the Nazis assumed power, a man by the name of Max Kite, uh, spelled like Keith but pronounced Kite, um, he took over the German subsidiary of Coca-Cola, and he decided to score some points with, you know, the the Nazis um, by— really leaning into uh, Coca-Cola as like a lifestyle thing and emphasizing this German way of life, which, of course, included uh, Nazi rule. Aryanism,
1: all that jazz. Yeah, and here's the thing. Back in the States, the Coca-Cola company, which was led by uh, Robert Woodruff at the time, did not discourage this at all. They kind of tacitly approved of it, and we're getting some of this information from a fantastic Atlas Obscura article called How Fanta Was Created for Nazi Germany by Matthew Blitz. I cannot say uh, uh, enough good things about Atlas Obscura. I love it. They've got a hardback out. I bought the hardback. I'm. It's great. It's yeah. great reading. Really, really great site. So here's what goes down. As we know, history buffs, on December 7th, 1941, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. The U.S. enters World War II. And when the U.S. enters World War II, that means that legally speaking, all American companies have to cut all business activities with the enemies, with Germany. So Coca-Cola headquarters here in Atlanta followed the letter of the law. They cut off communications with Mr. Kite in Germany, and they stopped exporting their 7x flavoring and the flavoring is like this syrup right and you add the carbonation and the water later when you're making
0: a, a coke and that is the famous secret ingredient supposedly like only a couple of executives and have it and they then we can't be part on the of plane. plane yeah exactly yeah. that's that's, that's they can't that's... be on the same plane at the same time i think that's accurate that's yeah. right um but yeah so i mean basically uh Coca-Cola GmbH, is what it was called, um, was left cold. And uh, there was the threat of the Nazis actually seizing, taking control of the company. But he had a brilliant idea that that just might save his company. Because, again, it's a subsidiary, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like a franchise kind of? Or how would you consider that? I mean, obviously, they were working in league with the Americans, but he was sort of independent. And there was probably some licensing fees that he paid. Right. But the infrastructure,
1: the factory, the the bottling apparatus and so on, that's technology that is now solely in his possession until the Nazi party nationalizes it. And just because the businesses have cut ties, it doesn't mean that these factories or this manufacturing capacity goes away. So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite
0: car? and
1: more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. So here's what Kite does. It's, It's pretty clever. He gets together with his chemist, his eggheads and stuff, and he says, let's take what we can find here in the midst of this horrible war and let's... Try to, using those ingredients and those constraints, let's try to get as close to Coke as we can in terms of taste. Here's what they were left with, though. This is a, uh, a story of ingenuity. There's some MacGyver action going on here. They essentially took the leftovers of other food manufacturers. So fruit shavings, uh, leftover apple fibers and pulp, um, beet sugar, even a cheese
0: byproduct. Did you see that part? Oh, that gives me the, the willies. You
1: you're not into cheese soda? Not into cheese soda. <laughs>
0: and and this is uh we, we teased this earlier in the episode, but this was the makings of uh, Fanta. And he got that from the shorthand for the German word for fantasy. And it, it did quite well. So Fanta was uh, from the very beginning a German in- invention. And even though he was doing this in
1: step with the Nazi Party after the end of World War II, here in Atlanta, Mr. Kite was hailed as a hero from across the Atlantic because he had kept the fires burning for Coca-Cola in Germany. How do you think that worked with profits at the time? You know, I think they were just glad that
0: the factory didn't get bombed. I think that's probably you true. I mean? And they, they, they had somewhere to start back over yeah. once, uh, you know, once the war, war ended and the Nazis were defeated. It would
1: be, it, it would be really tough to be an accountant for an international corporation at that time. you No, know? oh, I can only imagine. So Koch's VP of sales at the time is a fellow named Harrison Jones. And Harrison Jones is over the moon about Mr. Kite. And he says, you know, he's a great man. Who knows how he did it? He operated in the trenches. Uh, he is our pick. He, he shouldn't just be in charge of this company in Germany, he should be in command of all of Coca-Cola in Europe.
0: Yeah, it's true. And um, that original recipe, which obviously was made in dire circumstances, you know, (laughs) under duress with kind of whatever they could get their hands on, um, Mm. decided not to stick with the cheese beet juice soda, and they went for what we now know as the orange Fanta, which is kind of just classic Fanta, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, And it made a huge splash in Italy and then came to the U.S. in 1958. Yep. Apparently, they revived the name
1: Fanta because it was already kind of a sunk cost, you know, that we'd already put in the legwork. I say we. uh, By we, I mean the company that was doing this way before I was born. They, they had already had name recognition, which is one of the toughest, most important things to get. And Coca-Cola, of course, already had the copyright. So this polar bear that's showing up in the pre-wartime Coca-Cola ads and this polar bear that's showing up in the German interwar and wartime ads, uh, it becomes this symbol for the aspirational non-wartime life. You know what I mean? Even though there's death and destruction and fire raining down from the sky, people get this comfort of warm, fuzzy feeling when they pose with a drink and a furry friend, whether a real polar bear or honestly dude in costume. I don't know if you guys ever saw this. I, I may have sent it to you before. One of my favorite ad campaigns of the past several years is for an Egyptian cheese. Uh, it's like made a la hesh. I can't remember what it's called. Um, oh, it's panda panda cheese. And the commercials are a series of uh, vignettes where there's a incredibly violent panda. Have you seen these? No. Uh, I gotta send them. They're gonna make your day. Also, Eden will love them because they're they're that kind of anti humor that uh, that the young folks
0: dig. Oh yeah, she's she's definitely got that absurdist sense of humor for sure.
1: So this polar bear. I know we got a little sidetracked into the story of Fanta, but don't don't worry. We, we are getting back to the polar bear. And here's how. Because, you see, it turns out that we as a species were very close to completely forgetting uh, the mysterious trend of polar bear photos in Germany. In fact, this may have been lost to history entirely were it not for a single French photo collector.
0: Yeah, a man by the name of Jean Marie Donat. Casey? Yeah, it'd be uh, Jean Marie Donat. Ah, Casey on the case. <laughs> but I, I did an okay job to start with. But uh, I you know, you still did just want well. it's nice to have it's nice to have confirmation. Like Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. Indeed. So this uh this photo collector started coming across these images. There were tons of them. Photos taken uh, on the streets all around Germany, particularly in the capital of Berlin. And he was fascinated by just how strange this whole phenomenon was and then wanted to know why you know what was going on here that led to this so he knew there was a bigger story and he collected these photos in a book called teddy bar
1: no i'm no teddy
0: bear because it's an umlaut over the a, so it's teddy bear so it sounds like an ikea uh product it absolutely does and ben we were talking a little bit Mm -hmm. off air about how uh, kind of terrifying and surreal these photos are. Didn't age well. It's weird because I'm I'm really into it, and strange, we're
1: doing an audio podcast about this bear. The bear costumes all look sort of similar, but the thing that makes it weird, I think, is that the bear has beady little eyes. Clearly, the person wearing the costume is seen out of the mouth or maybe just under the jaw, and the bear's mouth is always open with these prominent fangs. So it's got, like, dead... Kirsten Dunst eyes, and it's got this, cavernous carnivorous mouth what do you have against Kirsten Dunst's eyes nothing I just think they're dead eyes really yeah I don't think there's much feeling I've
0: never heard uh, that said before I'll have to take a look next time I watch one of her movies
1: I'm not saying Uh, it's a bad thing it's it's, a great thing for an actor especially in interview with a vampire
0: that's true that's true she was a creepy vampire child but no there are dozens of these photos and I highly recommend there's an article on Vice called Polar Bears and Blackface Jean-Marie Donnaz collected over 10,000 creepy old photos Uh, actually Jean-Marie Donna is interviewed for this piece. Right.
1: Yeah. And I would say the polar bear photos or that collection, I would say that's definitely the more comfortable of the two. Agreed. Because blackface has such a, is, you know, blackface is an atrocity. Of so, course,
0: of course. But it's also a really interesting snapshot of mm-hmm. Germany during a really surreal mm-hmm. and strange transitional period. Like some of these photos, for example, there's one here I'm seeing with two Nazi SS officers posing with a quite uh, horrific bear. Um, reminds me of the the dude in the dog costume in uh, in The Shining a little bit.
1: Yeah, there's there's also pictures of children wearing Nazi regalia. There's one with a, a girl... Who's sitting on a polar bear's lap, sort of the way kids would sit on Santa's lap or the Easter bunny's lap. And also, I have to wonder, too, am I the only one who thinks that all of those old photos with animal costumes are creepy? I haven't seen one that doesn't look creepy. Like, have you ever seen the old 1950s pictures of the
0: Easter bunny? Yeah, yeah. Horrific, or even just Halloween costumes in general. They they look very demonic and like the kind of thing you'd see in like Texas Chainsaw Massacre Mm -hmm. or something. It's it's very very uh, very unsettling stuff. And this book, which
1: is a a tome, it's two hundred pages. It shows the bears with everyone that that we have mentioned, including the Nazi soldiers and stuff. And the time frame of the book goes from about the nineteen twenties to the nineteen 60s. There's also a think piece from a philosopher named Klaus-Peter Spadel, who adds some context to this. And he says that, well, well it's weird. He does, he does sort of a thought exercise is probably the best way to describe it, where he tries to imagine the perspective of the people in the costumes, these German interwar Elmo's. That's kind of what they were. You know what I mean? Like if you go to Times Square in New York, there are all these sketchy – it's it's almost a trope here. There are sketchy Elmo's that will come up to you, maybe smelling of booze or oh. maybe just trying to support their – uh, acting careers, and they'll they'll try to get a picture with you and charge you for it.
0: Yeah, and some of the folks that are in these uh, these costumes are really leaning into, like, the I am a polar bear vibe, mm-hmm. and they're actually crawling on all fours and doing that kind of grr tiger hand, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. that whole thing. Um, some of these are very, very strange and, uh, and disturbing images, but again, such a fascinating look into this time period and this history.
1: So we have one big question, though. Whether it started due to Fanta or whether it started due to the polar bears at the zoo, I bet both played a role. Why did it stick around for almost half a century? Like, why, why did the polar bear thing become a thing?
0: And then why did it die when it did? I don't know. Germans just in general are really fond of a good gimmick. You know, they uh, they have a hard time letting it go Um, again from that from that wonderful German girl in America blog. First of all, I love this uh, polar bear in German is Eisbier. R And by the way, um, one of those famous polar bears at the Berlin Zoo, um, who was absolutely beloved, uh, was Knut the polar bear, who um, uh, sadly died of a mysterious autoimmune disease um, that has only been uh, known to occur in humans. And this was only just recently solved uh, in 2011. Yeah, people identified with these creatures and anthropomorphized
1: them to no small degree and so that was, that was part of it, this comfort, right? Who doesn't want to be friends with a cool Ursus Maritimus?
0: which is the scientific name for polar bear. I love that. And it's so crazy how we can kind of track this, especially uh, thanks to the uh, ex- exhaustive work uh, done by um, our photo collector friend, Donat. Um, the last dated photo that we have of, uh, of someone posing with a polar bear was at an Oktoberfest from 1962 because this trend kind of it faded away. And while we cannot concretely, definitively trace the
1: death of the polar bear photo trend to a single cause, we do have one very, very good guess, and it goes back to technology. Just like we said in the beginning, uh, cameras were very uncommon. They were not a, a thing that the average person would have in their wallet or in their satchel or their stick and bindle their valise, I'm just naming old containers. They, they they wouldn't have a camera in there. Cameras were specialized gear for a certain trade. But by the 1960s, cameras are becoming more and more common. People have their own cameras. They don't have to pay for souvenirs, you know? Uh, so now these novelty photograph studios are having a tougher time. Why would I pay three to five marks to stand next to a polar bear When I have my own camera, I can just take a picture of the kids and the spouse by myself.
0: That's absolutely true. Um, And I think one thing that is interesting to talk about is the whole, you know, people really have strong feelings about zoos one way or the other. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I tend to be more okay with them if the animals couldn't survive in the wild, which— I have been told is the case at the Atlanta Zoo for most of the animals that are there. But apparently, um, according to the German Animal Welfare Association, polar bears shouldn't be kept in zoos at all, uh, largely because of how far they like to travel. Right. Polar bears have a huge, uh, huge range, a huge territory,
1: and that's how they evolved to survive. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite
0: car?
1: was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlo's and the last one, God bless it. I just, I I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back
0: now. Oh man. And funny, you should say that that particular perfect fit was the Honda fit, which I love dearly, but Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now. It's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better?
0: Oh, boy, have I ever been.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to
0: you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has
1: redefined cruising in so many
0: And more of everything. Limited time
1: special offers await at AvalonWaterways dot com. Do you want to know what I think about zoos? Tell me. Vampire rules. You have to invite me in, uh, and you have. So, some people call zoos animal jail. That's that's something that I've heard here at the Atlanta Zoo. They do a lot of good work, um, but there's there's a price to pay. So the merchandise and stuff that they'll sell at a lot of Western zoos goes directly into conservation efforts Mm -hmm. Uh, for a time. I don't know if this is true anymore, but for a time, the population of tigers in captivity in Texas was larger than the population of tigers in the wild across the planet. Oh, wow. So wild animals may very well be a thing of the past by the time you have grandchildren and you may be telling your grandkids, You know, once I saw a bear in the woods or I saw a turkey and it was a jerk, and they'll be like, what, an animal just walking around? Get out of here. Get out of here. That's like uh, typing with your hands. (laughs) It's an old myth. And we do need zoos, but there are also a lot of great conservationist organizations. Polar bears are a special case because they're not only adapted or acclimated to a huge swath of territory, it's also a specific kind of territory. You know what I mean? Like, we can take an animal that's used to a more temperate climate and put it in a reserve, a preserve of some sort, right? And it'll, it will adapt more easily than something that was bred to be out in the wastelands of the frozen north. It's a shame. You know, one interesting thing that is happening, though, with polar bears? No, tell me. They're breeding with grizzly bears. As what? Yeah, they're
0: hybrid. Look it up. What, are they like, what do they become? Beige?
1: Yeah, it's uh, they're called pizzlies, p i z z l y. That's Pol- adorable. Polar grizzlies. Uh, they're huge and uh, they kind of look like they have ombre, uh, you know, the hair thing where an ombre is like a hair thing where the uh, I guess the hair is lighter or darker. I'm not a cosmetologist, I don't know, man. Um, they look like they have weird highlights. Look it up, it's it's interesting. They kind of, you, if you wanted to be negative, you could say they look like dirty polar bears. Yeah. I, would, I don't think that's negative. It's like dirty blonde. There we go. There we go.
0: What's the difference between dirty blonde and strawberry blonde? I don't know. I think strawberry blonde's got a little bit more of a of a highlight, like a fiery highlight to it. And dirty blonde is a little more beige blonde. Interesting.
1: Well, today I learned something. We
0: all did, hopefully.
1: Yeah. Uh, hopefully we ended on a not-too-down note Pisley's. Uh <laughs> This this ends our episode, but not our show. We want to hear about more strange trends. So just to recap on the things we asked to hear from you about today, we had several. Deep Dish Pizza in Chicago. Deep Dish Chicago, Pizza in Chicago. Uh, Philly cheesesteaks in Philadelphia. Preferably preferably, and uh, we want to hear also about the strange historical trends that you have found that may have been lost to the modern day. Polar bears in Germany had no idea that was a thing.
0: Same. Uh, You can write to us at ridiculous at iheartradio.com You can hit us up on social media uh, where we're uh, Ridiculous History on Instagram, and uh, you can join our Facebook group, Ridiculous Historians. Additionally, you can find us as uh, individual human people on the social media. I am exclusively on Instagram, at How Now Noel Brown. You
1: can find me sipping on my branded Ridiculous History coffee
0: mug. If you can get at tpublic.com slash ridiculous history. <laughs> right. You can find me doing this
1: on my own personal Instagram in between uh, bouts of getting kicked into and kicked out of various countries, communities, and regions. I am in a burst of creativity at Ben Boland. You can also find me on Twitter where I am at Ben Boland HSW. The HSW stands for How Stuff Works. Big, big thanks to Casey Pegram. Casey, I can see you in the studio today. That's pretty cool. We got this window situation happening. Got nice. The, got that uh, direct eye contact, yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. We're spoiled. Thanks also to... Oh, man. I forgot. Yeah. It's time, gentlemen. I can't
0: believe we <laughs> almost made it to the end. Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. It's
2: actually, it's past time, you jerks. It's just trying to just trying to barrel through it now. Are you? What are you
0: implying <laughs> that we like invite you to do this? This is I'm. That implying, you don't just manifest. I'm
2: implying I'm sitting at the same table, and you're just thinking well, if we just if we just put our noses down, surely and don't give him an opportunity. There's no way, but Casey has the hookup. He has the button that plays the quiz uh, sound effect. Do it again, Casey. That's all
0: put in the post. You know this, right? Don't destroy the illusion.
1: LaVouche <laughs> yeah, La is playing both sides. I see you, man. I mm. see you. This eye contact studio is a dangerous thing. Jonathan Strickland, A.K.A. the Quister. It has been quite some time. We had a streak where, where for one reason or another, you weren't you weren't showing up. You did not deign to grace us with your presence.
2: We were frequently in different time zones. Yes, <laughs> and, so, and now we are all together. And because of that, this 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 sea of humanity within this. Increasingly stuffy studio. We're going to have a quizster segment, the most cringeworthy segment in all of podcasting. Whereupon I give you a historical scenario, and you two have three minutes to determine whether or not said scenario is in fact a real historical fact, or if I made it up, sees. And uh, also, as always, we have to have a. Uh, an arbitrary rule in the in the case that either of you have a question for me where you want some clarification.
0: I have a question. Are you the reason these studios are stuffy? That's the kind of low-level mischief I wouldn't put past I, you.
2: I will say that I've been through the entire process where this studio was like a deep freezer mm-hmm. and then became stuffy. And the other studio, the Stuff You Should Know studio did the opposite. So apparently if one studio is going to be stuffy, the other one is an icebox. Right.
1: I would describe the the thermostats in these rooms as ornamental. You yes, know what I mean? Yes. They look good.
2: Yes, I would I would call the ductwork arbitrary, <laughs> which is why I love it so much. Well, let me give you the scenario, then I will give you your uh, arbitrary rule. Okay. And uh, as I recall, uh, today you were talking about uh, photography. Photography. And polar bears.
1: Yes, that's correct. Excellent. And thank you for pronouncing that mm. uh correctly.
2: You're welcome. So we're going to have a photography related historical fact. Here you are. Alright. If you were to look at old photographs from the very early days of photography, you'd notice something peculiar. Some of those images appear to have both children and ghosts in them, not orbs. Floating around or transparent figures looming in the background, but rather the classic sheet ghost. Now, this was due to a superstition that children would be extremely susceptible to having their spirits affected by the strange process of photography. So, to distract any potential malicious forces, an adult would pose in the photo as well, ostensibly to attract the evil attention toward them instead of the children. But, Because the goal was to capture the photographs of the children, not the adults, the adults would attempt to hide themselves under sheets and throws, so as not to pull focus, so to speak, from the children themselves. Your
0: accent is really wandering today. Mm,
2: Well, so do I. So, that is your scenario, and of course your arbitrary rule is that if you wish to ask a question, you have to proceed it with, can you picture that? From the Muppet movie. Begin the
1: timer. Uh, Uh, Hang on. This is going to take me a second because the uh, grandfather clock's in the other room. Yeah, this. So, um, so Noel.
0: Yes. How's it going? It was, it's it's been better.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you, man. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, you have to be you, you know? I know. I I know.
2: I know. And plus on top of that, this Coffee machine we have now.
0: Oh, it's the worst. It is the
2: worst. Okay, guys, ready? Yeah, then do it. Okay, now.
0: Uh, you must re- <laughs> wait. What? What's the? What's the rule? Uh, can, Oh, sorry. Can oh. you picture that? Can you picture that? Yes. No. Uh, what, what was the? What was the actual
2: query? The query is: Is this in fact a real thing that happened? Where photography. Spoof deflection. Ninja children and adults underneath these sheets posing together, with the purpose of the adults being there to pull the evil, malicious potential spirits toward them instead of toward the children, or
1: pull focus, mm-hmm, as you could not mm-hmm. stop yourself from saying. Wait, so they're
2: ghosts? They're they're the ghosts? There's also a ghost in the picture? It's just a person underneath a sheet. It looks like a ghost. If we were to look at the photographs in a series, if we had a scrapbook of these photographs and we were to flip through them, we'd say, Why are all these
1: Victorian children posing with Charlie Brown-style ghosts? I see. So it's another
0: it's it's another photographic trend. If this is true, mm-hmm. and I'm still confused about you said the the children are hiding under sheets. Too? No, the adults are hiding under the sheets. The children are posing. So the so the adults are the ghost. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. I see.
1: And they're supposed to be kind of a uh, paranormal lightning rod, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: That's a good good way of putting it. I should have written that part down.
1: No, th- no, don't worry about it, man. I'm just pretty great. Next time and humble. Mm. <laughs> so uh, okay, so I don't like it, Ben. Yeah, I'm not. I don't like it either. I do want to real quick give a shout out to our friend on ridiculous historians who actually added up the tally. Yes, I believe it's thirteen ten. Thirteen ten. Quizster. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm aware, <laughs> Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Hang on, let me find the name of the guy mm-hmm. uh, real quick. But um, bu-bum. well. Uh, Let us know. We can't dig through the thread right now because we're on this three-minute timer. Uh, But uh, let us know who you are so we can give you a shout-out on air. Someone did go back through and add this up. We're three behind. We also have 53 seconds to go
0: here. Uh, Uh, I stand by not liking it. uh, You want to know why? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just seems kind of arbitrary and made up. And, like, he saw the episode we were doing and just sort of, like, made up a similar scenario. Well, he just saw the summary. That's why I didn't send him,
1: like, all of our notes. But yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what is your gut, Ben? What is your gut? You know, I'm I'm tempted to say true, but I'm very—like, at this point, I, I don't know. I'm so shell-shocked he actually showed up again. I know. Me too. I thought we were done with him. All right. You want to rock, paper, scissors for it? Let's you're, do it. You're false. I'm true. One, yep. two, three, shoot. All right. But- one, two, three, shoot. shoot. This is
2: good audio. One, two, one. two three, shoot. shoot. Okay, so
1: we're going with false.
2: Ah, the coin flip situation. You're so, so incredibly confident of your answer. You're right. As it turns out, it is in fact false. However, yes. these photographs do exist. There are photographs of Victorian children posing with adults who are underneath sheets, but it was not to pull focus of some malicious...
1: Spiritual ah, force. So there's the lie. Is the motivation
2: exactly because why this was happening is that you remember in old photography the exposure time for a camera was incredibly long, which right, is
0: you had to sit. Perfectly still.
2: And that's why you don't see people smiling in those old photographs. Because holding a smile that long is unnerving and unsettling at best.
1: Untrue. They were just gangster. The smile was not invented until 1974. Everyone knows that.
2: Also, to to another thing that everyone knows is (laughs) that that children are little tiny brats and they (laughs) squirm like crazy all the time. So, in an effort to keep the children from moving like crazy during a sitting for a photograph – the adults would sometimes hide themselves underneath a sheet to act as a reassuring presence toward the child for the process of photography. There's actually an entire photographic display called Hidden Mothers where oh, wow. it's moms who have, been, have a sheet draped over them uh, as if they are a chair or perhaps an armoire. A chaise lounge. A chaise lounge, an ottoman from the empire perhaps. <laughs> right. And the child is posing right next to them, so now we are at thirteen eleven
1: yeah, we're two down, uh but. Uh, and I hope you don't regret showing up to not, hand not us this all. victory.
2: This was a fun one. I, I enjoyed learning about the hidden mothers. And so I was very – I debated on whether or not to give you the real reason. But I thought, oh, that one's – it's so mundane.
1: I was – you know, that's that's where I uh, – I think that's where I was misled because I knew that there was this trend. But I was not certain of the motivation. Mm-hmm. I, authoritative – you you say reassuring, but I think we both know it was an authoritative presence yes. to keep them standing still. But be that as it may, win or lose, it's always a, a pleasure uh, slash disaster to have you on the show, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quizster. It looks like we're coming back. You know what I mean? We may be able to turn this around.
0: Yeah, and feel free to come back again, you know, sooner than later to give us a chance to, to, to evenly score. Mm. Oh, yeah, mm. now we've got the taste of victory, so now we no longer hate and fear this segment. Exactly. So
2: you're, you're telling me to bring it.
0: Yes. Bring it on. Noted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we made it almost all the way through. We we made it through the social media bits, but uh, let's 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 start. Let's see, we thanked Casey. We, we thank Casey, and yeah. that's when that's when everything, that's when went, everything south. went hot. Yeah, yeah. Um, big thanks to Alex Williams who composed our theme. Thanks to thanks thanks Jonathan. Um yeah. Christopher Asiotis here in spirit, uh, not a, a ghostly presence, but uh, more of a he's sort of like Mufasa in The Lion King. He gave us a, a cool lead on exploding
1: muffins recently. Oh. Uh, thanks also to. E- Jeff Coat, thanks to Gabe Luzier, our research associate who has such a good nose for good stories. He absolutely does.
0: Thanks to the Coca-Cola Company, thanks to Anthropomorphized Polar Bears the world over. Love to see that trend come back. Maybe we could bring it back. What do you say? Yeah,
1: I'm in. Let's do it.
2: I got a friend who was in one of those polar bear outfits.
0: Tight. Mm. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.
0: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now?
1: Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all?
0: We are. While well, cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, Smaller Ships.